For those who haven't been with us, we are um, walking with Jesus as he uh, is on uh, the mount and he is giving uh, his sermon on the mount. And so we've spent uh, longer than we had imagined because it's been so rich and looking at the Beatitudes. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles or you can look up on the screen, we're in Matthew chapter 5, and I will just read through them um, the first uh, a few, few Beatitudes, some that we've covered and where we'll end up today. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful. What is mercy? Mercy in this biblical context, it extracts misery from the miserable. Mercy extracts misery from the miserable. As we look at this particular beatitude, it is a shift from the others. To this point, we've been talking about an inward attitude that we are to have. We are to be poor in spirit. We are to be those who have a, a, a heart that mourns over our sin and the sin of the world to be meek, to have power under control, to hunger and thirst after that which is good, righteousness. And now we are blessed are those who are acting in mercy, those who are merciful. So today I'd like to start with the story of a girl uh, in 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, 2 Kings chapter 5 is, is picking up the story of Israel and it, their possession of that land. It goes beyond the time of Joshua when they are in the land and, and, and past the time, uh, we look into the time of the great prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and they are doing their work and their ministry. And so this particular story is on the, uh, on the flow of Elisha the prophet Elisha the prophet is the one who uh, had, did even more miracles than Elijah, his predecessor. Twice as, in fact, the, the, the stories are, there are twice as many miraculous stories of Elisha than Elijah. And so we hear this story in the midst of uh, this, this great unfolding of the ministry of Elisha. And 2 Kings chapter 5 begins with talking about a commander, a Syrian commander. So he is the commanding officer. He is the head. He is the general of the Syrian army who are not in great opposition to the Israelites, but they uh, oftentimes will come in and raid the Israelites. So they're not necessarily big enemies yet, but they do what neighbors kind of did back then. And so you have these great names. You have the, the name of Elisha, and you have the name Naaman. He is the commanding officer of the Syrian army. But the beautiful part of the story, the powerful part of this story is not found in the name of Naaman or of Elisha. 
but it's found in a nameless young girl. Oh, this is time for girl power. So if you are, if you are under the age of 18, young ladies, I want you to say amen. Oh, I want it, I want it to be with girl power. If you are under the age of 18, I want to hear, uh, I hear amen from our girls. Okay, there we go. All right. There was a, a young lady, a girl, who was a servant. She was actually a slave of Naaman's wife. And she became that slave because the, the troops under Naaman had raided her little village and more than likely killed her parents and taken this little girl as a slave, living in the house of Naaman. Now, for all, as powerful as Naaman was, he had leprosy, which meant that he was, uh, he had to be outside of the company of most people. Now, he's not Jewish, so he, he wouldn't have the same laws the Jews would have, but he was in a bad place. His, his body would begin to deteriorate. It was a death sentence for him. And he was living like that. Now, if you were this little girl, might you think God's divine judgment on this man, right? Wouldn't you think, even from a worldly standpoint, like, this is karma, right? Like, what you did, this is what you ought to get. But this little girl, this nameless little girl, says, I want to let you know there's a prophet from where I come from that can heal you. And so they listen to this little girl who desires good. Can you imagine this? She desires good for Naaman. This man who has been a part of destroying her whole world. There's a man who might be able to heal you. He lives in my, in my place. And so Naaman listens. He tells the king. The king sends word to the king of Israel and says, I hear that you have a prophet that can heal my commander. And when the king of Israel receives that, he is thrown into a tizzy. He is, he is worked up because he's afraid. Why have you sent this message to me? Because I don't know that we have a prophet that can heal. I don't know that he can do this. He's only doing this because he doesn't want to just do raiding parties. He wants to destroy us. He wants, he wants a pretext for war. But God, right? So he arranges it, and Elisha doesn't even meet with him. He, he sends his servant when, when this general comes, you know, with all these people, you know. And, and he says, okay, I want you to go wash in the river, or the Jordan River. Oh, and the, the, the general's like, that's a dirty river. Are there are rivers back home. Why didn't you have me just go there? But God is at work. And so as the story goes, 
he does end up washing in the Jordan, and he is healed. There is something about this, this picture that doesn't seem right where this servant girl, who seems to be the weakest, the oppressed, the most hurt in all of this, becomes the hero. Because she has mercy. Even though she was smaller in the story, right? She, Naaman really owes her something. But she is willing to extend to Naaman mercy. Mercy extracts misery from the miserable. It's the way of God. As we, we look at this word misery, in the New Testament, when it's using the word merciful, it's not talking about one-offs, like occasionally merciful. But it is a whole life that's bent towards mercy. And I want to show you, I'm going to really work on two applications of mercy, a way to look at mercy. The first one is not giving what is owed. It's holding back. It is restraint. It is justice under control. It reminds us of our message uh, two weeks ago about meekness, right? Where it withholds a power, something or something that is owed. It, 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 it comes up when we are right in the situation and the other person is wrong and they owe us a debt. They owe us an apology. They owe us money. They owe us gratitude. They owe us mercy in that moment is able to not take what is owed. To see the misery that the other person is in and to relieve that misery. And how do we, how do we not do that? Well, Sometimes we play, find ourselves in a place of strength, and because we are in a place of strength, we put it to them, like, all right? We cut off the relationship. When we are offended, we will expose and humiliate, right? We will get back what is owed us. And when we begin to have this attitude, we begin to work out our anger. We work out uh, our power over others in those moments. But the curb to that, the, the governor to that is mercy. I'm not saying that, there's, that every sin doesn't require a punishment, right? Or that sin is not sin, things are not done to us, and so we should just have tolerance for everything. Obviously, that's not the case. But the merciful person is one who doesn't smile at transgressions and law-breaking, but can take away misery in other suffering. One of my uh, favorite commentators and biblical scholars says this, as, he, as we look at those who offend us, we see in their sin and their foolishness, we see that they are unredeemed. And he says this, I see them, those who are offending, those who are lost, as the dupes and the victims and the slaves of sin and Satan and of the way of the world. They are duped. They are victims. They themselves. I have come to see them not simply as men who I dislike, but as men to be pitied. I've come to see them as being governed by the God of this world 
as being still where I once was and would be yet, but for the grace of God. Another one of my theological friends said it more succinctly, I pity the fool. <laughs> Mr. T, in case you missed that, you young people don't know that, you have to go watch the A-team with your parents one day. From the pulpit, Mr. T. But as we see others who are wronging us, especially those who are lost, we see them with pity because we know that they are lost. And hurting people hurt people. So we become, we become masters of mercy. And as mercy is a gateway for the virtue of forgiveness. Notice in the Lord's Prayer that we are to forgive those who have transgressed against us as we forgive those that we are asked to be forgiven as, as can I say that for me? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus tells the story of the, the wicked servant whom he had forgiven, the king had forgiven a lifetime worth of debt, yet he was not willing to forgive another servant his one week's worth of debt. We are to be a forgiving people, extenders of mercy. The second application I want you to see is that mercy is especially for those who are miserable. That mercy is something that we do as a compassion. And so we have, even in our church, we talk about mercy ministries as we see those who are in our church, especially, and especially those outside of our church who are in need. That we respond to that need. We see the misery they are, they are in, and, and we are called to be the people who step out. That's the story of the Good Samaritan, isn't it? As, as these religious people walk by someone who is in great need, they didn't take this time to stop and care for. But here is this Samaritan man who is the most unlikely person to uh, be following in the graces of God, but he exhibits this kind of mercy. So how are you doing in your place of business? There are oftentimes opportunities for you to extend your mercy. As you are employee, or employer, right? How about in school, in your neighborhood, with uh, the neighbor whose yard grows up like this, right? Are you extending mercy? The uh, homeowners association that's uh, some kind of like a third world dictator. With our families and friends, we have opportunities to extend mercy. As we deal with the people in our home, giving them mercy, cutting them some slack. Oftentimes we are so moved in our spirits with anger and revenge that we forget mercy. And mercy has its result. It is part of God's good work in us. 
think of, I think of my dad, uh, who's here with us. I didn't know you were going to be here today with us, but I remember him telling me a story about uh, he, he hired a painter to come and work at the house, and he only wanted, was it the front or the back side of the house painted? The back side of the house painted, which is not a normal thing, right? But he only wanted the back side of the house painted, so he got a quote for this painting. And so he went off to work. My dad went off to work, and when he came back, the guy painted the front side of the house. And so my dad didn't really have money for the front and the back side of the house, didn't intend for the front and back side of the house. And he said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go and paint the back side of the house. That's what I paid you for. And so the guy dutifully went and painted the other side of the house. But I said, a, a few years later, he said, I just could not get over that. He said, I, it just didn't seem right. And so he got the guy's address, and he sent him a check for the, what he owed him for the other. He didn't really owe him, but he owed him, right? So that's a, that's a cool enough story in and of itself, but this is the good part, because the guy then called my dad back. He said, you don't understand. We are in the middle of an adoption. We're at the end of adoption, and we needed that exact amount of money to finish the adoption. You see, God is at work in the mercy of his people. See, he, it is that we are the hands and feet of a glorious God reaching down and touching and extending the mercies of God to others. And so for us, as we think about this ministry of mercy in Brenham, what does it look like? It means that things like Brenham Next are really important to us. As we welcome kids who uh, have broken homes, we, kids who are, are not doing well in school, kids who don't have somebody to watch them after, after classes, that we can invite them into this place and, and serve alongside Brenham Next and bless them and lift them up. It means that as we look across the world stage that we can look at a place like Kenya and we can look at the refugee camps and we can think about the people in Archer's Post and, and Malala and we can know some of them by name and we can say we want to help them. We want to we be those hands and feet of mercy to relieve that suffering in the times of famine and struggle. Even now as, as uh, we, there are so many people who are fle fleeing Ukraine, we have friends in neighboring Moldova and we have friends who are leaving Ukraine that are, that are friends of the folks in this church. And so if you'll look on your newsletter, uh, you'll see a, a link there for us to even, for you even to, to give, give tangibly to, to help with those who are crossing the borders. Borders that I've been to, the Moldovan-Ukrainian border, um, there are ways that you can serve those people by giving and by praying for our brothers and sisters in Russia and the lost in Russia. These are the works of the mercies of God in you and me. Mercy is the way of the king. Mercy is the way of the kingdom. Think about in the very first stories of the Bible. As, as we see the need for justice, as Adam and Eve fall, as they, they give in to sins, they give in to Satan, as the, as the whole world begins to change, God gives certain curses towards them. But within all those curses, there is this mercy, isn't there? 
So Adam and Eve no longer get to be in the presence of God. They are, they are moved to a different place. But God, in his grace, he, he, he has cherubim that keep the way from the tree of life so they don't have to be there for all of eternity. So we don't have to be in our sin for all of eternity. Foundational stuff. Even when their, their children, Cain and Abel, I mean, when, when Cain sins against Abel, and, and he, is de, he deserves to die in that moment, but God doesn't kill Cain in that moment. He sends him away, and Cain says, it's going to be too much. Even in that, 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 that moment, God re, removes the misery that he's going to face, and he says, I'll put a mark on you so they don't kill you. Our God is a God that is full of mercy. And then what did Jesus do? He was born among the miserable. <laughs> Who came to see him but it's the miserable shepherds out in the field at night? When Jesus walked the earth, who did he spend time with? The miserable and as they brought the miserable to them, he kept relieving their misery, their physical misery, their emotional misery, their spiritual misery. He is a God of mercy, justice and mercy. And so now he extends that same kind of mercy to us. As Jesus looked over the from the mountain, as he looked across the people, he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And now he passes on that ministry to us to be people of mercy. Can you think of, uh, of Stephen, the first martyr, as he's being stoned? What does he say? He, Forgive them, Lord, because they don't know what they're doing. <coughs> right? As he's being killed by these people, he extends mercy. All the other attitudes, they, they, beatitudes, they add up to this. You must have spiritual poverty. You need to see your desperate place before God before you can have this kind of mercy. Because our natural response is anger and vengeance. It, it is something that's been taken away, and then God is saying to me, I'm supposed to give more when someone's taking something away from me. It doesn't seem to make sense unless we have a poverty of spirit, unless we are full of meekness, unless we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Then you can have mercy because you're filled up on something else. We are to be a people who doesn't, don't take advantage but who give grace, desirous for the good. So how are we doing? Are you merciful at home? Are you merciful at work, in the classroom, in that big business deal that went south and they owe you? Uh-oh. How are you doing in mercy against the and things pertaining to government, do you paint the other side as not even human? Is there any mercy? So back to this little girl. What does she get out of this? Well, Naaman gets healed. 
And Naaman, in fact, says, can I take some dirt with me? I want to take some of this dirt and take it back to home so I can lay it on the ground and I can remember this place and this God and worship him there. Wow, right? That God is so kind to Naaman that he would give him an opportunity to be a part of the people of God, even though he was the, the opposition, the enemy. That's a grace of God, a mercy of God, but extended through this little girl. Will we be agents of this kind of mercy? Will we extend the hand of God to those in need? even when it costs us? My friends, that is the kingdom of God. That is the way our king works. And he gives us the precious gift to work on his behalf. Blessed are the merciful, because they will receive mercy. They have received mercy. And now they can give mercy. Let us be people like that. Let us remember the mercies that have been extended to us and let us hand them out to others. In the name of our Lord, who is the God of mercy. Amen.